Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Hey y'all, welcome to the podcast. We have today on our episode, our friends, Michael and Jeff, and we're here to talk about God and suffering, and where is God in the midst of suffering? Um, welcome to the podcast, guys. It's good to be here. That's yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having us. Yep. Uh and Ben Sternke's also with me. Hey, Ben. Yeah, yeah, just, uh, I'll, I'll be this other voice. I'm the color... <laughs> I feel like my job today is color commentary. Okay. You know what I mean? Like there's always one commentator that's like play by play. And then the other ones, you know, just stating random facts or trying to be sure. funny. Sure. I feel you like can... that might be my role today. Okay. All right. Well, just if so you want I'll to change try. your role. Can I be the sideline reporter then? And then Michael. Oh, yeah. The sideline reporter. Appearance. And what is Michael then? We're all just kind of like missing baseball or other sporting events. So we're just going to mm-hmm. kind of like jump into yeah. the role there. Yeah, we'll be like a... I do miss sports. Sports team. I do miss sports. Before we get started, Jeff, you've been with us before on the podcast, um, but Michael, this is, I think, your first time maybe on the podcast. So, Michael, we'll start with you. Uh, Give us an introduction, who you are, what you spend your time doing. Yeah. uh, My name is Michael Gonzalez. I live in Philadelphia. I've been living here for about four years. Um, I serve at the Table Philadelphia. um, Good name for a church. Yeah, it's a young church, about four years. Um, so beyond that, I'm just a preschool teacher and just a regular guy. That's it. And, and, a, <laughs> and a theologian, a writer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you've written. A theologian. Yeah, you've, you've written a few blog posts on God and his presence and power in the midst of COVID-19. And that's uh, what I wanted to chat with you about. So we'll get back to you just in a second. Michael, welcome. Good to see you. Uh, Jeff, will you give an intro? who you are, what you spend your time doing? Yeah, my name is Jeff Holsclaw. I'm here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I'm a pastor at a vineyard church, um, leading the adult and a youth discipleship. I'm also a professor at uh, Northern Seminary, which I love. And um, let's see, writing, blogging. I had a podcast, but now it's kind of been dormant. 
of reasons. <laughs> yes. And at some point, it will come back. Uh, I took a new course load at uh, Cornerstone here. Oh, uh, cool. And it's just like, it just sucked up all my free time. So I didn't know that. And there's like other stuff going on in the world, which we might touch on, which is also sucked up all my time. So, yeah. Yes. But the pod podcast will come back. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, uh, maybe what, some. What is your podcast? In case people have never heard of it, it's the God with Us podcast. Sid and I, yeah. my wife and I, are co-hosts, and we have guests, and it's all about um, just experiencing the presence of God in everyday life and how that kind of interacts. We're real big into brain science, and discipleship, mm. and spiritual formation, mm. so we talk about all that stuff. Yes, it's like some of the gravity leadership light. <laughs> podcast it's hilarious yeah. well we'll probably get into some of those some of those topics uh crisscross with this our question today yeah okay. yeah yeah uh jeff and uh michael have both been in gravity leadership academy cohorts jeff i know you believe those at your church michael you guys are doing that too which mm -hmm. is exciting that's how we uh, i've known jeff a long time but michael that's how we kind of met um mostly got to know each other but michael i wonder if we could start with you you've been writing a bit about some of your thoughts about the sort of the slogan or this idea that um, the best way to sum up or the best way to comfort ourselves in the midst of uh, tragedy or pandemic, like the one we're going through now is, is simply like, this is all part of God's plan. God's in control. And you, you've been naming a bit about how that's was something for many years that you, you kind of used to soothe yourself or to get yourself through these things but you've begun to shift in, in how you think about that. Could you maybe describe that for us, uh, some of the journey and the contours of that? Yeah. Um, so I feel like when I, when I first started following Jesus when I was around 19, I think I kind of just adopted and kind of absorbed a lot of these axioms, you know, of why suffering is happening in the world. And I never really thought about them deeply until I got introduced to like neo-reform theology and it was like, I would have never, like, when I used to say things like God is in control, I never would have said God was controlling evil. But then I actually engaged many Calvinists and they would say, like, this is actually what's happening. And I would push back and then they would, you know, show me in the scriptures. And over time through wrestling, I, I got convinced of it. And for years, you know, I believed that, that, that God ordained evil. So, like, the saying was that Adam and Eve didn't just fall. God didn't just permit it, but he ordained it. Um, and I kind of just said, you know what? Um, I can't argue with God, uh, just, you know, submit to it. That's kind of the thing. And I guess over the years that just was really troubling to me to kind of name that God is both good, but God also ordained evil. God's like using evil. And I guess the logic for me was just like, what's the purpose of talking about God rescuing the world and like say Satan and, and, and having an enemy when ultimately God's doing everything. Mm. Um, yeah, and so that logic just didn't make sense to me, and I didn't really know how to navigate that. And so I stopped using that phrase, but I didn't know what else to to say in light of that. And I yeah. think um, I'd say like maybe five, six years ago, I got introduced to like neo Anabaptist um, tradition, and just kind of having a Jesus centric lens. And I guess over the years of just kind of looking at the life of Jesus and contemplating that and paying attention to that. My desire was to do the kind of work that that axiom God is controlled does, but with kind of that bent. Um, so I didn't want, because I know what, when people say God is in control, what they want to say is like God is a rock, God is yeah. our comfort, God is our yeah. hope. 
And so I don't want to like, you know, just reject that as totally horrible, but, (laughs) but I think axioms are contextual. And so for me, when I heard that I wasn't hearing good news. And so I was thinking, how could I reimagine good news and new axioms in light of how, what I actually see in the life of Jesus. And so what I see in Jesus is him not, not taking life, not causing sickness or disease, but healing it and opposing it and mm. wanting to reimagine axioms for in that way. And so that's ultimately what I've been trying to do. All right. So you, you had this axiom, God is in control, and you were confronted by the life and example and model of Jesus and you saw the fact that God, far from like Jesus ordaining evil or telling people, um, hey, you're sick for a greater good uh, or, or whatever, or meticulously controlling everything, but you saw Jesus opposing and stopping and healing uh, evil. And so then maybe there's a better way to describe God's presence and power in the midst of suffering than God is in control. Yeah. Yeah. So, hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, Jeff, I wonder if you have thoughts about that too. Uh, was there ever a time when, you know, God is in control where that seemed coherent for you, or have you always, have you always rejected that? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I um, I definitely don't think in the control language. It, I think I just like stopped using it, um, mm. rather than, yeah, I think. You know, early on in college, I had kind of like that strong reformed movement uh, kind of coming out of my fundamentalist kind of upbringings and things like that, um, where there was that kind of residual, you know, God works all things, you know, for the good of those. And I was always intended to like that God works all things was like, well, he's in control of all things and then he works it for our good. But Mm -hmm. I do feel like uh, I've definitely moved away from that camp. Now I'm much more of the you know, maybe allows, certainly uses. And I hear that Michael even wants to say like, well, no, God doesn't even allow or use. Like he's like against it. Like hearing him say that, I'm like, yeah, actually, I think, you know, we should probably reread that Romans passage a little differently Hmm. Um, that God, you know, works or, you know, works all things. Um, So yeah, I'm I'm definitely away from that. I, I, I have moved into more of like a partnership understanding of, of sovereignty, if we're going to use it that way, that, you know, when I read Genesis um, one and two, I just see God creating a world where he seeks partners and that he uses um, permission and persuasion um, with us. And so Hmm. a lot of times we think that we, we attempt to just tell one causal story about how God's at work in the world. But in my view, or the way that I've kind of been reading scripture um, and even experiencing God um, is that he's always trying to, however we think of control, authority, or power, God's always trying to give us his control and give us his authority, or at least draw his, draw us into his use of those things. And so he's always looking for partners and giving us permission to do the work alongside him. Yeah, Jeff, I've heard you say that God works through partnership uh, and persuasion, permission and persuasion, I think is how you've put it, um, rather than <laughs> this like control and domination. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so, all right, so right. then here's my question then. Should I we mean, all get to the points where we said something inflammatory on Facebook and then we broke the internet? So, that's where this, that's where this conversation is going, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get, I'm going to get you all in trouble. No, uh, no. Um, so then the reason why we say God is in control is because it's comforting, right? Like, 
it's really scary to face a virus yeah. or a plague or right um, a despot and think God's not going to step in and stop this person. Right. Right. That's really yeah. scary to face like the full evil of creation uh, or or God's creatures without a fail-safe uh, sure certainty that God won't that God has, has my best in mind. Uh, I mean, it's, it's like doing a trust, okay, to put it in youth pastor terms, Jeff Holsclaw, it's like doing a trust fall without somebody to catch you. <laughs> it's like super scary, yo, right? Right. And so right. like, so then what would you say, I mean, maybe, Michael, you can start, like, what, what do you say to somebody who, if you take away this idea or truth that God is in control, I'm left with just like, nothing. Like, what am I left with? Well, give me the hope in the midst of suffering and evil if I can't say God is in control. Yeah. Um, I think that I wrote something like this in my article that when we experience evil, like our desire is to want to create meaning and to like find some sense of goodness when things are bad. And our attempts to do that sometimes unintentionally like justify evil in the process of trying to make sense of what's going on. And so what I try to articulate like very briefly in the article is that evil doesn't have a purpose. Um, hmm. Now that's actually a good thing for you that evil doesn't have a purpose and that it's, it's an enemy of God. Um, and that what we see in Jesus is God's actively opposing that, um, that evil in their life and not even just opposing it, but that God actually becomes a human and suffers with us. And so I think what we, like what I don't want to do is try to think that I can give people all the answers because I think yeah. we're running a course with scripture, like looking at what our confession of God is good. And then looking at reality that just says, like, is that true? And then us having to like ache and long and say, how long we're Lord, um, do we have to endure this evil? And, you know, I think what Easter, what we just celebrated and Holy Saturday and Good Friday says is that, is that we don't always see what God is up to. But we can trust that what God has done in Jesus, he's doing for us today. And so that's that's what I tend to want to like carry that in when with people, when I'm with people, um, is to carry that perspective and let them know that this isn't happening to you because God is using this abuse um, or mm. this like, mother dying or something tragic like that. God, God's not the author of this. Right? Yeah. God, is, God is he's actively opposing that. And, yeah. and weep with them, right? We actively oppose that by weeping with them and grieving with them, um, but not giving them a theodicy of, of trying to comfort them through their intellect, which I've never found that to be helpful for myself. So. Oh, I see. Yeah. All right. So then maybe, Jeff, I can turn this back to you then. If Is there anything about what Michael would say that you would tweak or push back on? And if not, or even if so, like, how is God then with us? Uh, how is that good news? Like, how does that help us endure, persevere evil? Well, you, you like took it right out of me, so I don't even know why I'm here. You said it all, man. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so, like I said earlier, like I stopped kind of along with Michael, I stopped counseling and um, uh, answering things with um, God is in control. One, um, because if if you're been a pastor long enough, you know that doesn't help. It, it really doesn't. Mm. Um, it might help before the fact, um, but in the moment, it doesn't help. But what helps in the moment? 
what, what helps in the moment is your presence as a pastor, as a friend in the midst of suffering. And so I think a lot of times when we want to answer the why question, um, the Bible doesn't give us really good answers to the why question. It gives us really good answers to the who question, which is who is with me in the midst of the suffering. And mm. the biblical answer has always been God's with us in the midst of the suffering, especially in the New Testament. But you even get that in the midst of, of the Old Testament um, in glimpses. And I uh, I like the, the album that's really been getting me through this is uh, John Mark Millen has a new album that's come out. Um, and he wrote all this before the coronavirus, but he has this, the last song on the album is called ancient and brave. Um, and the chorus is just this refrain, uh, where is God at a time like this? The world asks, where is God at a time like this? Um, and it's all about, um, it, it ends with this kind of like Job refrain of like, well, God was creating all these things, but he was creating them all so that he could create a context that he could come and die with us. Um, and so it's kind of that that hmm. Christian answer to the book of Job, which is, yeah, God is the God of power, of might, of creation, of all these things, but he's also the one that comes and walks with us. And uh, if we had known that power was going to be used to die for us, would we would we clamor after God's power? Would we want God's power? Like the you know, Oh, yeah. We, can, we I want- sit at, can I sit at your right and your left and you don't know what you're asking? Yeah, yeah. Because if you want the power that I have, that just means you're going to die. Uh, and so I think... I think like, um, and throughout, throughout this album, he actually talks about like the gods of Olympus, uh, that will never go out of their way to come down to help humanity. Um, and so, and he talks about like, well, what do I tell my daughter when she has a broken heart and a bruised knee? All I can tell her is that God walks with us in the midst of those things. Like that's my answer is that God walks with us, um, in the midst of these hurts. And so, uh, for me, I don't, I'm not like, oh, God's in control. Like, oh, you know, God has a plan to work this out. It's just like, no, God is with you in the midst of this. Like he's holding your hand and he's crying with you. Um, our God is yeah. the powerful one who gives it all up. And so those are the answers I go to. So in once, you know, so maybe I would like, you know, push back or massage. Like, well, what does it mean that God uses these things? I, so I would probably still use that language. Well, God is using this, but I primarily am, am with the the who, not why and i and so I, and there's like a brain science thing we could talk about that in a sec too but I wanna, <laughs> i'm always ready to go yeah well i think that's i think that's important so i think the language as as i'm listening to this the language i'm realizing that i prefer to use in situations like this is not that not that god you know controls this or has caused this obviously but also not that god uses but um although maybe i say that sometimes i i think i like to say that god is at work in the midst of this. And part of the way that he's at work is he is present with us, um, which I think is a really, uh, that's a really important thing to dwell on. And maybe we could talk a little bit about that neuroscience thing, Jeff, because I I was remembering this quote I saw on Twitter the other day from Moltmann. Um, It was on uh, Uh, Miroslav Wolf's. is that Bruce Moltmann or Jürgen no, Moltmann? No, I'm pretty sure it's the Jürgen. Yeah. Okay. Jürgen Moltmann uh, on Miroslav Wolf's Twitter account. So uh, we got theologians talking about theologians. Theologians quoting theologians. <clears throat> anyway, um, but part of what he said relates to what you said, Jeff, where, where he said the question, why does God allow this? Why does God allow pandemics? Is a question of onlookers, not, not the question of those who are affected. Those who are affected are seeking healing and comfort. And I think that relates to what you're saying, Jeff, that like in a moment where somebody is actually experiencing pain and, and heartbreak and sorrow and, and, and loss, 
God is in control doesn't actually help them in that moment. God is in control is only helpful for people who are sort of intellectually interested in the problem of evil um, rather than people who are actually being affected by it. And, and there's a profound help that comes in presence, not just having intellectual answers for why this might be happening. Yes? Jeff? Back to me? Yeah, Jeff, uh, back to you. Yeah, right? I, yeah? well, I wasn't sure if you were passing it off to someone else. Uh, back to the sideline where the game is involved. Back to the sideline reporter. <laughs> so I think, Jeff Holesclaw. So I, I've been thinking about this, is that the problem with evil comes from, and I'm going to get back to what you were asking but in a roundabout way, comes from the success of the Christian story. So in the West, the su- success of the Christian story is that God is like doing, God is the creator and is doing an amazing work and we, and that gets labeled as love throughout the biblical story and actually cares about individual people, has his heart set on individual people, has given dignity to individual people. And the success of that immoral imagination, when, like you said, Ben, gets disconnected from actual participants and in like the Christian West and with the Enlightenment, you get these multiple distances, you get affluence, you know, add racism and all sorts of things onto that. And then you get the intellectual problem. Well, well wait a second. If God actually loves us and God is mm. actually in charge and we're kind of like viewing this from a distance, then I don't see how this makes sense. But that's that's a problem that can only get asked truly um, from within the Christian story because outside of the Christian story, even in the contemporary world and before that, and this is kind of how Christianity won the West, you know, the gods didn't care about humanity. The gods- right. Of course, this is happening. And, and people didn't ask, why am I suffering? They're like, well, the, you know, the gods are screwing me over. This is, and, and they're just, they're resigned to their fate. And, and, they're, and the gods are capricious and they're yeah. selfish yeah. and they yeah. just yeah. use humans. And, yeah. and asking why didn't make any sense because it's like, because I'm human. We're all suckers. Like, you know, yeah, too yeah. bad. Right? <laughs> so too there's bad no, for us. Yeah. And so, so I just want to put that out there. That's, yeah, but I love like really the good. participant and because like, the question of power or the question of why um, is really kind of a, re- a left brain explaining critical distance mode. But the question of presence is the right brain involved um, kind of understanding a full bodied and emotionally kind of integrative kind of question is the one of, and, and our explanations of why things happened are often like wrong, right? Like usually, you know, well, why did I yell at my wife? Well, obviously it's because she did this, this, and this. And then you sit and talk and think about it and you're like, no, it's because I was angry about X, Y, and Z. That was totally yeah. unrelated to what my kids mm. were doing. All right. So the explanations are usually just after the fact and they're totally bogus and they're usually just meant to protect me. <laughs> right. Mm. So, but the question of presence usually, you know, it starts unwrapped. So anyway, sorry about that rant. Maybe that was helpful. No, that's really people. good. I, I, Michael, I like your neuroscience rants. I, I do too, man. Those, those are good. Um, we should, you should rename uh, the guy with us podcast to Jeff's neuroscience rants. <laughs> neuroscience. neuroscience rants with Jeff. Well, I hear that uh, like the super niche podcasts really are taking off. So. <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> and we all have plenty of time now. Uh, no, you, you mentioned this uh, and I'm going to get back to something Michael said about, you know, God, like the idea that God ordains evil is somehow comforting, right? So that, um, you know, a, a popular phrase from um, a popular, like, Reformed theologian is there's not a molecule in the universe that God hasn't determined and instructed to be exactly where it is. And I remember talking to a Calvinist friend of mine, and I said, I said to him, like, you, uh, the test of any good theology or theodicy of suffering is, would you be able to say it to somebody who just like um, lost their daughter to leukemia, like over their coffin. 
Like, would you be able to stand there and say to this mom, hey, uh, God ordained your daughter dying of leukemia. Somehow it's for her good and your good. Also, she died before the age of accountability, and she may not have been a part of the elect anyway. So this may have saved her from an eternal conscious torment in hell. Uh, because, you know, God only really loves the elect. Like, I'm like saying all this theology. I'm like, you wouldn't say any of that to this person. And and he said to me, yeah, because that's not pastoral. And I and so I think what he was, it, what he was intuiting, Jeff, is what you said. Like, that's all left brain stuff. And like pastoral somehow is right brain stuff. But uh, I, something clicked for me there. Like, do I have any theology about suffering and evil that I wouldn't share with somebody in grief? I wonder if that's not a test for me of like, should I just get, if I do, should I get rid of it? You know what I mean? Like if it, if, if it's not meeting somebody in the reality of their, their grief and sadness, then maybe it's not just not pastoral. Right. Cause part of the implication of what, of what he's saying or what, what your friend was talking about is part of the implication is yeah. To be pastoral is to lie hide. to people. No, just to hide, just to hide the truth, which is a form of lying. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, in a sense. That. I've literally was taught that. Say more about that. Like, I've literally was taught when I was in, like, you know, young Calvinist was, you don't tell people that yet. You got to wait until, like, they've kind of worked through the grief. And then you lovingly tell them that, you know, God's in control. He ordained the whole thing. And I'm just like, for me, it's not even just that I can't say it in the moment, but it actually shapes my presence with that person. Because... Uh, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, God's the one who's, who's ultimately responsible for yourself. Yes, it shapes your presence with that person. Michael, that's huge. Yeah, And so I huge. can't actually, like, I honestly, like, I couldn't actually say God is with you for you. God is not pleased with this because this is God's will. Yeah. And the idea of God's revealed will and secret will. But I'm like, we all know the secret will, so it's not a secret. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it didn't make sense to me. Yes. Yes, yeah. Michael. How can yeah. I? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, dude. Yeah. So then maybe something you said earlier, too, about evil. Maybe we can talk about evil for a second. You, you kind of referred to evil as like, uh, this is my word back to you, so clarify if I didn't hear you right. Like, evil is almost absurd. Like, evil, um, so there's some church fathers who understand evil as the absence of good or the provision of good. So, yeah. so evil doesn't exist as an entity of unto itself. Evil is rather a a, a privation or an absence of good. Yeah. I heard you say something a little different about evil. That evil evil doesn't make sense. Evil evil is actually um, has no purpose. Has There's no more. purpose. Yeah, yeah. Can you s- say more about that and how that fits into how you understand uh, being present to people and suffering? Yeah. So. I think I, I hold to that. And I think Augustine definitely articulates that view. I think in the confessions actually, where he talks about like evil being the you know, deprivation of good. Um, and so like, for me, it's, it's starting with this reality that God is good and all that God made is good. And evil is like, you know, is like the lack of goodness, inherent goodness. Um, and so in that sense, there's no purpose for it. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a purposeless actualization against God's good purposes in the world. Mm. And because of that, we, we oppose that because there's no goodness in it. Mm. We oppose it because there's no goodness in it. And we oppose it because God opposes it. 
and I think like when Jesus prays or teaches us to pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's because there are things in the world happening today that's actually not God's good purposes being worked out in the world. And so that's kind of what shapes my imagination around thinking that evil doesn't have a purpose. Like there's nothing, there's no virtue in it. It doesn't have any like ontological goodness. It doesn't have instrumental goodness. There's nothing good about a child being abused, right? There's yeah. nothing good about, you know, coronavirus taking whole families, which I've read on the news, right? There's mm. nothing good about that. These are, these are things that are, it's an enemy. And so we oppose it and we just have the freedom to say, I oppose it first off. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you, so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission, and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy. Yeah, I wonder then if we could just get, I mean, we're not going to solve this age-old question here in the next 15 minutes, but I wonder then, this kind of puts, puts us on the horn of the theodicy dilemma, right? So God is all, God is good. God is all omnibenevolent and God is omni, uh, uh, omnipotent. So God is all powerful. So how is there then this absurd evil, as anti-good present in the midst of a all powerful, all good God and his creation? Jeff, you want to give, make it, take a run at that? No. (laughs) Come on. Well, I would probably just, you know. That we go down the rabbit hole of needing to define all these terms and you know all all the what right, all the philosophy right. involved and um, but again I I do go back to that kind of statement of you know, those are all detached kind of articulations of these things, um, and I think that they are particularly Western um, the idea that that hardship and suffering um, should not be a part of this life at all. Um, is I, you know, I just dare say like the most privileged thing that, you know, Westerners can, can get upset about, um, you know, yeah. and most, most people who, in, who encounter Christianity outside of the affluent West are not like, oh yeah, but tell me more about this. Like God is all powerful, but all beloved thing. Cause I'm not like, I don't see how that fits together. It's much more of the, oh, so God is like concerned about my life and has taken steps to redeem and restore and renew the things that are broken mm. in this world. And he has mm. more power than, than the shaman down the road or the curses that I'm worried about or the ancestors that plague me because I don't pay enough attention to me. Oh, so Jesus can take care of all of that. And I've seen him do that because people have been delivered and healings have occurred. Like, tell me more. Right. That's how. And so for me, I'm just kind of like, if that's where you're at, then God bless you. I'll pray for like a charismatic experience where God like, you know, (laughs) from something unexplainable. That's actually but that that has been my my pastoral stance is, oh, that's your question. I'll just pray for a deliverance in your family. And then you'll ask different questions about the reality Mm. is important here. So I don't know. Is that pastoral enough? I think this gets to your question, Matt, about what you want to 
to like talk to me about at least is I'm much like I've taken a very much more charismatic or Pentecost, however you want to think about it. So, you yeah. know, Greg Boyd and other people talk, you know, like we're in a war, like the fact that we're, that we view the world as like, like a, um, a static, you know, system. And we're confused about why God set it up this way is for me, not the right view of the world. It's actually, we're mm. in like a spiritual war zone. And so, so the idea that God allowed or um, ordained, uh, the coronavirus, you know, or something like that to teach somebody a lesson is like, for me, I'll just, uh, I'll, my unsanctified self is like, that's the dumbest question. Like the real question <laughs> is, uh, don't you understand that there are spiritual forces actively seeking to destroy your life and all of our lives and all the good things in the world? And we should be, you know, and this is where my charismatic, and we should be claiming the authority that Christ has given us and speaking mm-hmm and compelling those forces to leave our lives. And so yeah. like, yes, I know a lot of people were like, Oh, and T Wright had this great post about how, you know, the church doesn't answer this and we need to move into laments. Um, and I know that I'm going to get it from people. Uh, but I don't, I'm, I don't think that's the new Testament perspective. The new Testament perspective is that gates of hell will not prevail against us. And so uh, we're not called to endure the, the coronavirus. We're called or to lament it. We're called to oppose it. And to do everything in our power to overcome it, and so yeah. that's for yes. me is like the Easter, the Easter um, church position shouldn't be like oh, we'll get through this together. It's no, that's from the devil, and we're going to oppose this. Whether we're going to do it spiritually and going to pray for healing, whether we're going to do it practically by getting masks mm-hmm. and medicine, to, and really we should be doing both of those things. And so for me, that's my posture. So now I'm all amped up, Jeff. I have Jeff. Good. I'm glad amped up. Jeff is better than. Uh, just highly and caffeinated, my, Jeff. It's like one notch above highly caffeinated. There's Jeff. not been a time w- with this lockdown that I've not been highly caffeinated. I sit at home, <laughs> and I just drink more coffee. I'm on my fourth cup, mm. and it's only like, so anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Can I say something about, like, respond to what Jeff said? Yes, please. Um, just about the lament piece. I, I think there's a, there's a way maybe of lamenting evil where it's kind of like, oh, woe is us. But I guess for myself, I've been seeing lament as a as a recognizing that what's happening isn't good and that it's okay to not be happy about that. It's okay to embrace the pain that comes with with that. Um, And that is a part of our opposing, along with washing our hands and social distancing and praying and proclaiming good news. But I've kind of seen lament as like a as a weapon of like. Of like being being in tune with what's real in our lives and understanding that the way things are is not the way God wants it to be. And sort of instead of me just saying, Oh, it's all good. I'm actually saying, no, this sucks. Yeah. My lament, my weeping with people is letting them also know that this is now how God wants it to be. And it's a a aching, almost a hoping and longing for God to make things new. And we're going to do that together. Yeah. So that's kind of how I've, thought of lament in the face of evil. So So what I hear you saying is sometimes you got to ugly cry before you can declare Lazarus come out. Exactly. Exactly. And and sometimes you got to weep over Jerusalem before you can die there. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm on board. I I, I like that. (laughs) Michael, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and I, I think I just want to say like, just like personally, anecdotally, um, embracing lament has felt like a very practical way for me to oppose the gates of hell in, in the midst of this, where there is a, there is a mystery to it, 
where I, I do understand some, you know, some, some, some definitions of lament might, might be a more of a woe is me or let's all roll over and die, you know, that kind of a thing, which is not what I think is going on in, in true, you know, biblical lament. But for me, like realizing that I can feel sad about this and actually grappling with that and like learning to pray the Psalms um, of lament, um, like learning to do that is a way that I am participating in God's victory over these things. Uh, in in a sense, in kind of a, a roundabout or uh, mysterious, I mean, it's the same way that the cross is the victory of the world, right? Like Jesus dying on the cross is the victory over death, which which is deeply ironic and and doesn't appear to be true on the surface of things. I think lament is a very similar kind of activity for us, where it's prophetic and it actually participates in the victory over the very thing you're lamenting as you lament it. Yeah. yeah. Some, so for myself, I tend to want to stuff my emotions. And so if I'm like, God's in control, it's okay. And I don't want to like tend to my anxiety, tend to my fear, tend to my angst and frustration. And I don't actually meet God in reality. But like, but I see Jesus, like you said, uh, Matt, Jesus weeping is that this is not, this is an enemy. And so we're going to acknowledge that as such as an enemy. Um, and so we're going to say like, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And so it's part of like, it's a part of the whole process of like having this defiant hope yes. um, in the face of really, really ugly things and saying, we're not going to stop lamenting. We're not going to stop praying. We're not going to stop crying out how long the Lord until he does for us what he's done for Jesus. Mm. We're gonna yeah. So let me just, let me just talk a little bit about that. Like doing for us what he did for Jesus. Cause two things, I have two obstacles in my head to that. And I, maybe uh, Michael, Jeff, you guys can help me. The first is I, I watch uh, these little audio clips of Kenneth Copeland uh, yelling at his camera and curing everybody of COVID-19. Like I've got this really sort of caricatured, weird, pejorative idea, Jeff, of what it looks like to sort of take dominion in a charismatic way. And I have an allergy to it. So that's part A. Part B is uh, our culture is so naturalist and materialist, it's like baked into my bones. So it's so hard for me to look at a virus and see anything other than a virus or to see more than a virus. Meaning the, the world that both you guys are operating in is that they're like the virus is a part of this sustained spiritual realm of opposition against God's reign and rule. And that there are demons and devils and spiritual forces of darkness that are opposing God. And a virus is part of that warfare. And so for Kenneth Copeland reasons, and also for like uh, modern enlightenment reasons, it's really hard for me to know how to navigate that. So please, um, please help me. <laughs> well, just as you, Michael, you're, you're, uh, are you Anglican also? You, you get, is that a yes or no? I'm not. Oh, you're not. Um, okay. I'm actually part of- <clears throat> well, I, I know Matt and Ben are Anglican, you know, and that's like the, you know, the middle way between the Protestants and Catholics. So I'm a part of the vineyard, which I think views itself as the middle way between like bland evangelicals and crazy Pentecostals. Um, and so, <laughs> but, but the Kenneth, the, like the, the, the Kenneth Copeland, you know, faith healing, like that is very much like the over uh, realized eschatology that is everything in heaven uh, and all the promises should be yours now. And the only thing inhibiting that is your lack of faith and things like this. Uh, and so like, I think we need to have a balanced eschatology um, like the already and not yet. And so, so I would fault that, but 
but like I said, um, I do, I do have that sense in which the, the charismatic and Pentecostals, they do expect God's kingdom to come to earth and that we like have that authority in us, uh, and that Jesus, you know, has given us the keys of the kingdom. And that means more than just like he gave us good teaching and we have the Bible, uh, or in the more Anabaptist way, we get to communally discern God's will. And that's the key. it's like, no, like the keys of the kingdom is like victory over sin and death. And we should be praying for healing and things like, so that's where I, and like, if we really have moved from a penal substitutionary atonement to a Christus Victor, then like, I think we should have an engaged Christus Victor kind of like atonement theory, which is Jesus is still overcoming death. All right. So that I said, yeah. I said a whole bunch there, but, but yes, I, I think, I think that kind of the foolishness of, you know, not washing your hands and doing corporate gatherings together. Like it just, it makes me so frustrated uh, because that's not loving your neighbor. That's not, you know, and um, but to go back to the, the, well, okay. I could just go like a zillion different ways. So you just, you keep leading the conversation, <laughs> I mean, you, Matt. <laughs> you threw out penal substitutionary atonement. Now we're on this podcast for like three hours, dude. Michael, do you have a response to that? Yeah. Um, so I was in a Bible study maybe like three weeks ago with uh, my church that I used to be at. And it's a black church. And we, they were studying Psalms 91. And in Psalms 91, it talks about making God your refuge. And if you do that, you'll be spared from harm and pestilence. And one of the, one of my friends was saying, like, we just got to take hold of that promise. You know, it's not going to happen to us. Like, just trust God in his word, hold him to his word. And part of me, I'm like, amen. And the other part, I'm like, but Christians die of coronavirus. So how do I, like, how do I appropriate this promise, but without deceiving myself? Yes. Um, or like deluding myself as if this is protection from suffering and everybody else has to suffer. Mm-hmm. And I got this from, from Chris Green, who y'all had on your podcast. And he, yeah. he's very much Pentecostal. And he, he said that when we, we pray for people, like, like Jeff is saying, and if God heals that person, we, he says, we let them know that God is not through working yet in your life. So what he's done, he's not fully done what he will do. And if a person dies, we, we lament that. And we also say that God is not done working on that person's life, that we're longing and waiting for resurrection. And so I think that kind of helped me hmm. navigate this reality that God is present and work in the world, that we do pray for healing and we do expect that. And But whatever God does do in the present, it's not all that God can do. And so we live in that, that tension of seeing God resurrect Lazarus, but also Lazarus will die again. And we're, we're waiting for God. Yes. to do thing that will you know remove all evil yes. and in the meantime we live with this tension that he's not simply allowing it to happen he is present in our work mm. he is doing something even when we're grieving even on holy saturday when the disciples are disillusioned jesus is loosing the bonds of death in the realm of the dead right and so that's that's the kind of contemplative like way i'm thinking about yeah. how god is always at work in the world he's always opposing it even when we don't see it and what he does do, it's not all that God can do. Mm. And when he doesn't do what we want him to do, it's not because God's not present in that work. Yes. Yes. I, um, I'm what, cause I think like prayer for people's healings, that, that becomes the very tangible, like, uh, well, if I didn't get healed, is that because God doesn't love me or what, like, what's the greater good that's at work yeah. because I didn't get healed because clearly it'd be good for me to get healed of X, Y, and Z. Uh, and so, right. So this is where, you know, I think charismatics really have to live that theology of uh, how is God at work? And, and the way we always talk about it is, well, like 
the ultimate purpose of healing or of anything God is doing is to draw us into his love and to affirm us as people and individuals. Um, and that can happen whether you're healed or not, ultimately. Um, and, and so a lot of times people will come forward for healing, like at the end of our services and not be healed. Um, but they'll say like, oh, I really felt like God's presence or I, like, I feel like there's that thing that I'm working on that I need to like, think about more, you know, and sometimes people are crushed. Right. Um, and, and other times God's at work and sometimes they are healed. Uh, right. So the process is, is complicated. So I really like, uh, what you were saying, Michael, um, about like God is still at work. And, and that makes me think of, uh, all the way back to our question of why, like, or who's in charge or why is God doing this? Um, yeah. like that, that is a backward facing question that is asking, um, now that something has or has not happened, I'm going to look backwards into the past and find the patterns so that I can get like what you were saying, Michael, so I can find the meaning. I need to create a meaning out of the situation. Um, and that is uh, how you know our survival instincts and in our brains work is how can I right. pattern this situation based off of the things I've experienced so that I can keep not yeah. dying. Um, <laughs> Right. And, but, but really like Jesus, like the whole kind of new Testament narrative is like, a, or not new Testament, the whole biblical narrative is a forward facing story of God is drawing us into the good future mm. that he promised is coming, that he is already implementing. Um, and that's a totally different perspective. And that's not a part of, um, how like our animal selves are. I was reading, and I don't know where I read this. I need to find it is that we were made on the sixth day the same day that all the beasts, all the animals were made. And I think that's an affirmation of like the fact that we are as human beings are beasts or we are animals. We have an animal nature, but we are the only ones that were invited into the seventh day. Like we are asked to join God in our spiritual, however you want to think of that in our spirituals, our soulish we're, we're joined, we're invited into communion with God. And that's a, that's different. That's a different, fundamentally different perspective. It's a forward moving one. Um, that really should affect our brains. And, and I, I think, uh, that's, I do have this push and pull and I, I appreciate everybody's like, like lament is important. Um, and it's important to integrate our emotions. And that's usually how I hear about it is usually I stuff my emotions and a lament is a way to get into that. And I think mm -hmm. that's great. Another way to get into your emotions. That's very new Testament is joy is the relational, um, exuberance of being in the presence of someone you love. Uh, and, and that's what Paul repeatedly commands us to do is like, how do we enter into joy? And so I am for, yeah. and I understand lament and what pastorally, that's what I do is I, I, I look people in the eye when there's been a miscarriage or a death, or just when people just lament their own poor life decisions or whatever. And I just look at them and I said, this is not what God wanted. This is not the way God made mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. and, and we give them permission to lament, but that's usually just one of the early steps in the process so that we can find the joy and, and not just the joy that comes in the morning, right? It's not just the joy that comes after our circumstances are relieved. We're all going to be filled with joy when we can not be on lockdown anymore. Right. So yeah. that, that's one kind of joy, but, but Jesus had the joy uh, that was beyond circumstances. He yeah. was dwelling in the presence of the father and the spirit eternally, even yes. in the midst, even in the garden um, yes. for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, right? There's this, so there is, so anyway, so those are my thoughts about how lament and joy kind of fit together. And I do want to integrate our emotions. And for those who know me, that's like my life work is to yeah. become yes. more emotional. <laughs> no, that, I think go ahead, Michael. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's helpful um, to think about. And 
And that's why, like, even in my article, I mentioned everything that I'm that I say is provisional at best and, and adequate because I'm speaking from a context. I'm speaking from a context of someone who, for most of my life as a man, was taught to suppress my emotion. And so when I would see those joy verses, I would just try to find really hard to be joyful. Yeah. And I all this decades of, well, not many decades, like three decades of <laughs> unprocessed, like grief. Yeah. And I, I've had to learn how to do that. And I guess I found, at least in my experience, that that's a common one. Mm-hmm. And so I hope people would recognize that what I'm saying is not like this definitive. It has to, you have to lament before you can have joy because you might be like full of lament and you're like, I need, I need something else. Yep. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I think they're related. You know what I mean? Like the, the capacity to feel joy is directly proportional to your capacity to lament. You know what I mean? Like there, there's a there's a sense in which um, it's not necessarily sequential, but I think it goes together. That if you can't lament, I don't know that you're ever gonna. I don't know that you'll ever be joyful. You know what I mean? Like if you can't lament something that's sad, you can't really yeah. feel the joy of being in the presence of someone you love either. That's what you see all the time when people are grieving something. They'd set apart like a week or like yeah, thirty days. Right, America. That's not, we don't do that. We immediately go to memes and we immediately go to distraction and we immediately go to, yes. you know, we got to work. You know, if you, somebody got passes, work. you can do days. Yep. That's all you got. And then you got to get back to work. And, yep. and so like for me, it's like, I've, I've always thought like reading, like say James, who says kind of all joy. I'm like, I can't even deal with James right now. <laughs> and so this, this, this grief, like my Kairos reading James is I need to learn how to lament before I can actually do what he's mm. talking about. Yes. Yeah, dude. Because it doesn't go straight from hear this command now go do it. It's like, where am I actually at? Yep. Do I even have the capacity to do that? Yep. Yep. And I realized I have not for the longest. And in my experience, that's just so common, so common. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just very common. Yeah. I agree. I agree, Michael. Well, uh, this has been an incredible conversation. I know we just kind of bounced on some things quickly. I'm I'm noticing a couple things. Uh, first of all, I, I need to get better. I need to learn how to oppose evil better. Um, I mean, actively oppose it, not just wish against it. I think uh, I've, I've mentioned this before on the podcast. I'm, I'm struck by how differently Jesus and the apostles oppose evil. Let's say like in healings or demon possessions and how I oppose evil. Like I, I tend to oppose evil by like, uh, like asking God to do me a favor and help somebody out. And Peter and John and Jesus oppose evil by telling evil to leave. And uh, <laughs> and like, I, I, I want to have that kind of faith as I oppose evil, you know, and then also give somebody antibiotic when it doesn't obey. <laughs> well, and, and I feel, I feel like I'm, I'm a, I'm an infant when it comes to that. Jeff, help me out. Well, but I'd say it's both, I, you know, if God has given us. No, yeah. I'm saying it's both too. Right. I, I'm not saying I, I don't, I don't want to oppose like, uh, you know, uh, um, antibiotic and prayer. Right. Right. That's not, that's not what I'm different. saying. Yeah. Well, I think they're I, both partnerships with God. Like God has given us the ability to investigate the world and to create new things and medicines. This is all part of like, if you, you know, being made in God's image and dominion and having rule over the world is creating science and medicine. So we should use that. And that's not mm-hmm. opposed yes. to praying for healing right now. Like they're, yes. like they're both part of our authority right. that we should be exercising in Jesus. So when people, yeah don't pray for healing and renege on that authority. I think that's a problem when people just pray and don't wash their hands and don't take medicine. Like that's a problem. Also a problem. Yeah. 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 
That's a problem. I'm going to take that as a cue that I can have a little wine for my stomach with dinner. Hey, man. Uh, because well, uh, it, Paul commands that. We are recording this uh, on the first day of Eastertide. So. Amen. Great. Amen. Well, uh, any last words, Michael or Jeff, before we wrap this up? Anything you need to say? Oh, man. Hasn't been said. I've, I've just been shocked at how quickly people go to Isaiah 45, 7 and say, God is the, is the creator of evil. <laughs> when I say that God hasn't made these pandemics, I was like, really? We're going to go straight to that verse? So, what does that oh. verse say? It says that uh, I am the Lord. There is no one besides me. I'm the creator of light or I'm the former of light and the creator of darkness. And I'm the former of what's good and the creator of what's evil. Oh, that's the King James version. Oh, but, the King James. Oh. Yeah. I appreciate you reading the authoritative text here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the authoritative uh, podcast, is it not? Mm-hmm. It is. So Jeff, uh, you have 10 seconds. How do you, uh, how do you respond to the fact that your position on this uh, goes it's against clearly scripture. refuted by scripture. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so seriously though, I go to um, the healing of the blind man in John. I forget which chapter it is, you know, where everyone says, well, whose evil was this, his or his parents um, that caused his blindness. Right. So that's the why question. They're trying to get at the, the causation of evil or sin or disruption or the lack of goodness in the world. And Jesus says it was neither. It's just so that God could be glorified in his healing. Um, and, and so I, I think, uh, and it, however you want to put that ordained allows uses like God, God is in the, so I just take that God is in the business of restoring all things. Like that's what we should be talking about. That was what we should be emphasizing. That's what we should be calling people into. And anyone who is like, well, God's doing this because he wants to teach so-and-so a lesson. It's like, I, even if you can find instances in the old Testament, sorry, this is longer than 10 seconds. Even if you find instances in the old Testament, Jesus and the New Testament is very clear that this is the time of grace and mercy. Whatever may or may not happen in the final judgment and how you think about that, that's not now. And whatever happened yeah. in the Old Testament and how God was working with Israel to deal with the pagan nations, that is not now. Like now is the time of grace and mercy and we declare the good things yeah. God is doing. So why don't we just do that? Yes. So if somebody's trolling me on Twitter, let's say some young men are trolling me on Twitter, I am not to call upon some bears to maul them is what you're saying. Or if the uh, Samaritans do not welcome us, we're not supposed to call lightning down and destroy the village. Thanks, John because and James. <laughs> <laughs> those, those, yeah, those bad things happen in the New Testament, too. Uh, well, this has been really stimulating, you guys. Thanks for writing about this and thinking yeah. about it, helping us uh, be more faithful in the midst of something yeah. that we can't we can't explain yeah. and know exactly why it's happening. Right. And it, I, I think, I just want to say, like, I think the reason this is important, I mean, some sometimes uh, it can feel a little bit, you know, I don't know, academic to, like, to ponder these things. But, like, the reason this is important is that we're all involved in and leading, helping to lead, Christian communities where these questions are being asked, like our neighbors are asking these questions. And it's really, really important for us to know how to respond to these things faithfully and not just kind of throw out some phrase that we hope is comforting. You know, God is in control. So everything, you know, like we, we have to learn it, it's, it, it calls for faithful engagement in these, in these issues. And so you guys are helping us do that. Thank you. Yep. Thanks for having us on. Yeah. Michael, give us your blog. Uh, give us your blog real quick. MichaelGonzalez.org. MichaelGonzalez.org. And Jeff, uh, yep. And yours, Jeff is, yours is, uh, Dr. Claw.biz. Is that what it is? 
Yeah, and if you um if you send me a hundred dollars, <laughs> actually, I'm sure blessings will flow upon you, and your house send, will be delivered. I'll send you a handkerchief that I've prayed over. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If you, if you call now, <laughs> what's your what's your blog, Jeff? So my blog is it's uh, jeffreyholsclaw.net. It's Jeff with a G G G E O F F. Um, and our the podcast is God with His podcast. Um, but you can find me on Twitter and Facebook and everywhere. Great guys, I I learned. Uh, a lot from both of you. Thanks yep. for your writing and thinking about this and taking time to talk with us today. Appreciate you guys. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.